So food is an intriguing topic for most people. I, I know only, if any, a few who people who are happy, much less prefer to miss a routine meal. And that tells us how important food is in our daily lives. It reminds us that we cannot live in utter dependence from all things because we rely, we depend upon things outside of us to sustain our life. And the same is true spiritually, which is the point that I want to draw from John 6 today. So there's a massive amount of material in this passage. We're going to get to it really fast, and we can't hope to cover it all in detail. So the main focus is going to be really tightly on Jesus' claim that he is the bread that came down from heaven and that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And we'll consider what that means for us today. So the main point is that life with God cannot be had or lived apart from Christ. Life with God cannot be had or lived apart from Christ. And we're going to think about this in four points. A trust, a call, a comfort, and a communion. So first, let's think about a contrast in this passage. Right, so... The whole chapter, John 6, begins with a miracle that is kind of worth pre- well, definitely worth preaching in its own right, but we can summarize it briefly as important background for our material today. That, so in John 6, 1 to 15, Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000 men, so plus their families, by miraculously blessing five small bread loaves and, and two fish. And the crowd was obviously amazed that Jesus could make such a small amount of food feed so many. And in a day when food was more scarce in some ways than it is now, this was the kind of savior they wanted. One who would fill their bellies. And that sheds light on the events of verses 22 to 27, where the crowd followed Jesus and the disciples back to the other side of the sea and wondered why he had left the other side where they had been. And so Jesus right away puts his finger right on the issue that they were not interested in him, but the food that he might give them. They, however, should, as verse 27 tells us, be far more interested in food that leads to eternal life rather than food that fills their belly. And that's the background and the lead up to the main contrast that's happening in this passage between those who want Jesus to fill their bellies and those who want Jesus to fill their souls. So that's not to say, I should be really clear, that's not to say that we should not seek God for our material provision. We should. We should pray for it. But the point that is that this passage forces us to consider what we think Jesus is there to do. What do we think Jesus is supposed to do for us? We see this work out in verses 27 to 34, where Jesus explained that 
there is bread that does not perish. And the people ask, what works they must do to obtain it, which reveals a somewhat legalist disposition. And Jesus told them that they must believe in him. Verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So look at, look at verse 30 with me, which is telling in how, uh, in response to Jesus' call to faith, they again demand a physical sign. So they had the sign of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus says, this is what it actually points towards. And they say, give us another sign. They try to trick him, basically. They want him to prove that he can provide this eternal food by repeating the feeding of the 5,000 miracle again so that they have temporary food now. They appeal to God feeding the Israelites in the wilderness to provoke Jesus into proving his divine authority by giving them food for the moment. And we can draw, we can, yeah, I think this is crucial because we can draw an important parallel to things happening today. Something like the prosperity gospel. Advocates of this view say that if you believe God will make you healthy and wealthy, which means that the gospel becomes a means to attaining the things you already want. The things we already desire as fallen sinners. The gospel no longer is about being reconciled to God, but using God to get our desires. And we see in our text that that's not really anything new, but it's still just as wicked. Jesus pushed against that very mindset here that these people need to have their whole desires rewired. And they need to long more for God than for easily obtained worldly goods. So there, there is then a contrast developing between those who will want to use Jesus to get what they want and those who come to Jesus because Jesus is what they want. The contrast is between those who try to make the gospel into a way to satisfy the desires they already have and those who realize that the gospel satisfies the desires we should have by reuniting sinners to the God against whom we have rebelled. That brings us to our second point, a call. So, so the contrast is in how we think about Jesus. Do we go to Jesus to get things from him or to have him? And this we need to consider what this contrast then provokes us to do. This passage calls us to consider what our interest in Jesus Christ is, which leads us to ask all of us even, why might we be here today? So Jesus stated in verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he claimed to be the true fulfillment of that manna from heaven, uh, that the manna from heaven foreshadowed. He's that bread in actuality. Jesus is what really 
satisfies God's people. In verses 36 to 37, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And we see that Jesus claimed that he is the bread which is eternal and leads to life. And we also see that this being satisfied in Christ has to do with believing in him. And as the Jews grumbled in verses 41 and 42 about how he was claiming to be this heavenly satisfaction, Jesus just redoubled his emphasis. You'd think if we were in the seeker-friendly uh, mindset, Jesus would say, well, this is, this is what I actually meant. <laughs> he just drove the point home harder. Verses 47 to 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he reasserts reasserts that he himself is God's provision to them to grant them heaven. But that we we attain heaven only by receiving Christ. They, however are less interested, the people opposing Jesus in this passage, are less interested in life with God than they are with what they get right now. Which shows that if you seek God in order to have your best life now, it means you don't know Him and that you're on the road to hell. Christians know that even when life is good, and we hope it is good here, That our best life is future. Because God will fully install his heavenly kingdom on earth. But those who use God to meet their sinful desires think Jesus is more just like a cosmic Santa Claus. And so, why do we, we need to think in ourselves, why do we want to hear about Jesus. Do we come to church because it's intellectually stimulating for me? Do you come because you don't know where else to find friends? Do you come because you think that the people here are nice? Maybe you're here because you heard the church takes care of its people. And if those are your reasons for being here... I'm delighted you're here. Thrilled that you are. We welcome you here and are delighted that you've come. We are happy, really, to be your friends and have you at our lunch, have you at our homes and in our fellowship. But you do have to know that that is not enough for God. 
God knows that you are interested in his people for what you already want rather than because you treasure his son and cling to him for salvation. God knows that you seek satisfaction in what the world's offer rather than in communion with the triune God. God's response to you is actually made really clear in this passage. The work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent and summons you to do that today. The point that Christ made in verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you, is actually not about the Lord's Supper that we take today. Jesus' point to those who want to use him for their own ends, though, is that we, pay close attention here, we must receive and must receive fully God's Son by whatever means he is offered to us. If Jesus put that reception, if Jesus explained the way that we take hold of Christ in the hardest words imaginable, are we willing to pursue Christ in that way because we know that Christ himself is worth it? We must take Christ within ourselves by the mouth of faith. So the call is to receive Christ as the bread from heaven, the one who genuinely satisfies and fills us and who provides eternal life through the forgiveness of sins. And I hope if you've not done so, you will respond to him today to trust in him for that. But it brings us to our third point, a comfort. Because on the other hand... Many of you are here because you love the Lord Christ and trust in him to save you. And this passage has incredibly different edge for you. For those of you who cling to the Savior for rescue, these verses are less a challenge to consider if you love Jesus than a reminder that the Jesus whom you love is all-satisfying. There are a great many people in our congregation and in most congregations who are hurting for various reasons. And for you, you need to hear Jesus' words that defy his opponents in verse 54 to 59 as reminders of comfort for you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, And I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread 
will live forever. We need to remember that the plights of this age are ultimately fading, and the rewards of this age are never satisfying. If you struggle with finances, there's always more money to be had, and it will always disappear. But Jesus is preparing a mansion for you in heaven, even now. If you have lost loved ones, we need to remember that God has promised, even as we have read, to raise us up on the last day. We state with Christians of all ages in the Apostles' Creed that I believe in the resurrection of the body. Heaven is not ghostly harp playing in the clouds. God will restore all that sin and this age has robbed from you because Jesus is enough. If you are single and struggling to be content, you do need to know that your Savior's love for you surpasses all the love and devotion that any sinner could ever hope to give you. If you are wrestling, on the other hand, in your marriage, you need to remember that it is okay to accept imperfect yet striving to be faithful marriages because we await our heavenly bridegroom who will never disappoint. For all of you who have fed upon Christ by faith, who have made Christ your own, then we find comfort in knowing that Jesus satisfies. He knows his people's needs and will always intercede for you. Christian, take heart because Jesus is enough brings us to our final point a communion because we do need application from this as we approach our communion table and the first application so there's three kinds of people i need to address and the first application is for unbelievers you need to know that you deeply need Christ. Everyone, all of us, have violated God's law and deserves his wrath. He promised he will pour out destruction upon those who have transgressions counted against them at the last day. And when we take this meal together in a few moments, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you may not have it. And as these elements pass by you, I actually want you to feel that that is because you have rejected Christ's offer to save you. 
We, we enthusiastically, genuinely, deeply, we enthusiastically invite you to our friendship meal after the service to share a table with us there, have food together. But you don't have the right to our family meal. You have no right to it because as of now, you are not God's family. You do not possess God's love and are not his child since we are all born children of wrath. And I hope that you also feel as these elements pass by you, though, that you could join this family. The offer is open. God offers you a place in the communion of saints if you trust in Jesus Christ to save you. If you recognize your sin and flee to Christ as the one who died to exhaust God's wrath for you, then Christ would give you the right to become a child of God. He will never cast you out and he will raise you up on the last day. That's the offer before you. I also need to speak to our covenant children. You are part of God's covenant and we're thankful for you. As Hebrews 6 phrases it, you have been enlightened in baptism. You've seen the Holy Spirit's work in converting others around you and experienced the goodness of God's word in sitting under its preaching. But many of you, again from Hebrews 6, have not tasted the supper. And I want to exhort you in two different ways. Okay? So... If you have not tasted because you do not believe in Christ, nor desire to profess faith, then actually the same warning for unbelievers stands for you as well. You must make Christ your own so that you might personally possess Christ's benefits as a true rather than just an external member of this covenant. On the other hand, if you are a child of this covenant longing to make profession of faith because you have personally placed your faith in Christ, I really want you to rest assured that although this meal that we're about to take together is a help, it does not itself save you. So you should be eager to make your faith public and share in this meal. So I do hope that as these elements pass by you, who are eager to publicly profess faith, that you will not feel the weight of condemnation, but feel the eagerness to declare in a new way the faith that you already possess. Lastly, for professing believers... You do need to remember that this meal seals everything that Jesus has said we need to receive. John 6 may not have been directly about this meal, which may have been the surprise affirmation for you, but it has been used in discussions about the Lord's Supper for centuries for some reason. Certainly, the call to feed and drink from Christ actually do reflect what we do here. 
This bread and wine don't magically transform into Jesus's body and blood. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 announced that we do participate in Christ's body and blood in this meal. So we know that the mouth of faith does indeed receive the true Christ. He, as the book of Hebrews quoted Psalm 40, had a body, has a body, so that he might earn our eternal life by his obedience. He gave his life on the cross so that his blood removes the entire curse of the law against us. And so this is a meal to help us in the Christian life. And think just as much about what's not there as what is. We have no Passover lamb on this table because Christ has been sacrificed once and for all. So we don't need any more justification because that is done. It is total, it is complete. You stand entirely righteous, definitively in the eyes of God. You have entitlement to heaven because of what Jesus has done for you and given to you by faith. You're forgiven. And you are a citizen of God's kingdom. But we do need more sanctification. And so God gives us this meal for sustenance. The body of Christ to give us life. And his blood unto the forgiveness of sins. And we believers gather to this meal as a family. Knit together in God's grace. Kneeling before our glorious Lord who daily offers himself to you in the gospel so that you might have hope and know that you are his. Let's pray now. Father God, we do indeed rejoice that we can receive Christ by believing in him. That when we might ask, what must we do to enter heaven The simple response is, believe in Jesus. We trust that he has achieved everything needed to ensure our place in your eternal kingdom. But we also want to walk more faithfully with and for him in this world. And so we give thanks for this meal of nourishment that we're about to receive. And we pray that it would direct our thoughts and hearts to the realities of which we've heard in John 6, that Jesus is the bread of life that has come down from heaven, that his body given for us gives us life, and his blood shed for us cleanses us of all our sins. We pray that we would latch whoever we are, whatever stage of faith, that if we have none, This would happen. People would trust in Jesus right now. You are a magnificent God and you can do all things. And we pray that you would overcome every doubt, every disbelief, every resistance to the gospel right now. And we pray for those who struggle that you would comfort them. Knowing those who have faith and who wrestle 
with assurance. We pray that you would remind them that Jesus satisfies. He has done it all and has said, it is finished. And we pray that you would build us up in faith. We do pray that you would build us up in holiness and send us into your world more and more made into the image of your son. We pray these things in his name for his sake. Amen.